live from the Poly Market Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Woo! It's up! Jake Uger, Anna Kasparian with you guys. Uh, look, it's the show that uh, has serious news commentary, uh, yet somehow makes you feel good about the bad news. That's what uh, a lot of our members write in, and I kind of agree with that. I do. I think it's a pretty good description. Do we give you a little bit of hope? We do. I guess. <laughs> it's been a while since you've said that. Oh, that's a good point. I guess. Has it been a while? Yep. I guess. <laughs> okay. I don't even know where that came from, but I love it. Where does anything come from? It just pops into my head. You think the other people were saying, of course. No, I don't know. It popped into my head one day. And not on air. I was just saying it to a friend. Yeah. Anyways, guys, we do make news and we do make commentary. We got to make room for both, so let's get started. Well, we begin with a surprising investigation by the DOJ into one of the progressive Democrats in the House of Representatives. So let's discuss that. A Department of Justice, I'm sorry, the Department of Justice has launched an investigation into Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush following allegations that she misused campaign funds to pay her husband to serve as her security guard. Now, this investigation initially came to public attention on Monday when the clerk of the House read aloud a required notification by the House Sergeant at Arms that he had received a grand jury subpoena from the DOJ for documents. After consulting with the Office of General Counsel, I have determined that compliance with the subpoena is consistent with the rights and derivatives of the House, William McFarland, the Sergeant at Arms, wrote in the notice. Now, Bush was previously investigated back in 2023, meaning last year, about the alleged misuse of campaign funds on security. But apparently there were limitations to that investigation and the DOJ would have the ability to investigate this further. Now Bush spent more on security than any other member of the House in the months after the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol. In 2022, Bush's campaign paid 300 $338,193 for security, including $225,281 to a private firm, Peace Security, $50,000 to Nathaniel Davis, and $60,000 to her husband, Courtney Merritts, according to the complaint. The payments to Merritts, her husband, in the amount of $2,500 were twice a month. The complaint noted that Merritts did not have a St. Louis private security license and that Bush and Merritts got married in February of 2023. So um, at some point they got married, like she started paying him for security. In the middle of that, the timeline is unclear to be quite honest with you. They ended up getting married, but at the time when they weren't married, he was a love interest of hers. Um, so. I wanna just quickly note that the House Ethics Committee had investigated this last year and they ended up clearing her of any wrongdoing. And I'm gonna give you her statements in just a moment in response to this DOJ investigation. But I wanna go to the last graphic here where the New York Times notes that federal prosecutors have greater investigatory 
powers than congressional investigators do. Ethics investigators rarely result, or ethics investigations rarely result in discipline against members of Congress. Cenk. Yeah, so I have very mixed feelings on this. I'm gonna explain both sides of it. First on the dates, the security seems to have mainly happened 2021-2022, mainly 22 bills. And they seem to have gotten married February 23rd. So that's the timing of it. Okay, so why mixed feelings? So number one, paying your boyfriend and then husband for security out of campaign funds. Does it sound dicey? Yes, it sounds dicey. Number two, the ethics committee cleared her. Yeah, that's true, but the ethics committee clears almost everyone. And why is that? Because they all misuse campaign funds like crazy. So when one of them comes in and says, oh, I spent it on my boyfriend and husband, they're like, we should get a load of the rest of us, right? Not guilty. So if the ethics committee clearing her, it is slightly relevant for a reason I'm gonna come back to later. But you shouldn't say, "Oh, well, that's it, then she must be innocent, right? Then in terms of the need for security, I get it. You know, Look, we get crazy threats, etc. all the time. She's a member of Congress, she wants to feel safer, okay. She's one of the leaders of the defund the police movement. Is there a little bit of irony there? Yes, Yes, yes. So now look guys, you could say full blown irony or you could say half irony because Yes, but she's worried that the police are abusing the citizens. And in her case, clearly she's hiring security to protect her. And if the cops acted like that, maybe she might be in favor of them. Yeah, but, is there, but is there a sense of irony here? No protection for you, but protection for me? A little bit. Little bit. No, but I'll come back to the others, but go ahead. But I think it's really important to be fair to her because while she is an advocate for defunding the police, she never said that she was against hiring private security. So, in a situation in which you can't rely on police, just hire private security. It only costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, but you could just give it to your husband. That's true. That's true. You could do that. So, now it sounds like I'm against her, but hold on. So, First of all, she spent a pretty significant chunk on security, including over $220,000 to another group. And this was about $5,000 a month, it sounds like, and a little over $60,000 overall. So you can say, I don't care, I don't care if she spent only 10 bucks or 200 bucks, it's not right. Okay, that's fine. But it was a smaller portion of the the amount spent on security. So it's not like she funneled half a million dollars and had no real security. It was just a way of get a scam to just get no security but money to herself. No, it doesn't appear that way to me. Okay, finally, the real reason why I'm concerned about these charges is why now, why the Justice Department? So ethics committee clears tons of people that are totally guilty, right? Did they go back and investigate all of them? Maybe, but I haven't seen it. So they decide, okay, out of all those folks, we're gonna take Cori Bush and we're gonna take this to a whole nother level, although we almost never do. Now she is a member of the squad. She is one of the few people in Congress who has spoken out against Israel. I know a couple of deans that were not strong enough in their language of condemnation, etc. that all of a sudden their life was dug into. And by the way, in this case, this was a right wing group, they don't hide it, who dug into her life, found this, brought it to the ethics committee, brought it to the justice department, etc. Now there's two schools of thought. One is, I don't care, guilty is guilty. The other school of thought is, I can dig into anyone's life and find something wrong. And then we can all scream, guilty! The question is, why are we digging? Or at least that's half the question. So that's my take, what do you think? Let's just be clear that you're speculating that this was motivated by her support for Palestinians because there's been no indication no, that that's me, the case. No, no, let me. Let okay, me, maybe me, you came across some indication no, no, that hold I'm on, not. Let me clarify to. the dates. Okay, okay, go ahead. So the right wing group does not look into her because of that they looked started looking into her in 2022, well before the 23 attacks, right? Ethics committee doesn't have anything to do with that. It's before the October 7th attacks, okay. right? The Justice Department's timing, I don't know, except for the fact that it just popped up. Right? They did, apparently they did not look into it back then, they're looking into it now. And it is weird that this got resolved a long time ago and all of a sudden the Justice Department. Now you could say, Jake, oh, that is just such a coincidence. UNRWA, the UN group helping Palestinians, investigated, wild coincidence. 
The Dean's investigated wild coincidence, this wild coincidence, man, maybe it is. Literally, maybe it is. And maybe it's if you mess with powerful people. And again, I'm not just, look, this isn't a, it's just groupthink in Washington. If you mess with the establishment groupthink in Washington on any topic, all of a sudden, investigation, huh, interesting. Look, we'll see what the findings of the DOJ investigation ends up being. If it is true that she was engaging in self-dealing by taking campaign funds and effectively paying herself. I mean, you're paying your husband, where do you think that money goes? It goes to your household, okay? So like, that that is a problem. But obviously, this is pending an investigation. We should be fair and wait and see what the results of that investigation end up being. And anyone who stands accused of misusing either campaign money or federal funds, which is not the case here. She's not accused of misusing federal funds. But any type of situation where funds are being misused or misspent, that should be investigated regardless of who it is. Because at the end of the day, you have you know people donating to your campaign and they're not expecting you to, to pay yourself or pay family members to allegedly do security for you, even when they don't have a security license, which I think is another pretty fishy part of the story. So look, we're fair, that's why we get attacked by all sides. So I'll do, I'll do more of both sides here because there are both sides. So on the one hand, again, why? Why did you pay your husband? Don't do that. Don't pay your husband over $60,000 or your boyfriend over $60,000. Uh, out of your campaign funds, people gave that money to you, trusting you to, to fight run for a, them. Yeah, to fight for them, to run a campaign yeah. that's going to be really tough with people spending tons of money against you, etc. I mean, I told a story the other day in a members only episode here. I'll mention it briefly here. Become a member to get the whole thing to rt.com slash short. Is uh, I wound up staying at a stripper hotel because <laughs> I'm trying to save money in New York, right? Because I don't want to waste people's hard-earned money that they're giving to the campaign, right? And so now, when I see over sixty thousand dollars to your boyfriend for security, I'm like, I can't believe that that you spent campaign funds on that. But okay, okay. On the other hand, Chantel Brown, establishment Democrat, ran against uh, Nina Turner. Funneled tons of money to her boyfriend, way more than sixty thousand. I don't remember the exact number now, but it might have been in the millions. You could look up the actual report yourself. But it's crystal clear, no question about it. Funneled giant amounts of money, and the establishment didn't pick her despite that corruption. They picked her because of that corruption. They thought, oh, good, she'll do anything that people ask of her. She's in it for the money, right? So where's the investigation on Chantel Brown, Justice Department? Where are you? In fact, I guarantee you, if I said that in Washington, they'd be like, how dare you? That is a Democrat and an African-American woman. Are you trying to target her because she's African? Cori Bush is an African-American woman. Okay, all right, all of a sudden, a giant double standard. If you're part of the establishment, steal anything you like. Oh, you're speaking up against the establishment, we're gonna find something on you. And but by the way, don't give them something to find. 100%, but here, that's but here it is. point number one, that's point number one. Don't engage in self-dealing, no one's gonna investigate you for self-dealing, that's it. All right, so- Or just be an establishment corrupt politician and you can get away with millions of dollars of crimes and, and, and illegal activities and funnel way more money to your boyfriend. But you gotta make a choice, are you fighting for the people or are you a corrupt clown like Chantel Brown and you're allowed to get away with it? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, let's move on to some other news, including honestly a story that I heard on a different broadcast and it was so insane that I didn't believe it. <laughs> and then I looked into it and it's real. So get a load of this. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is getting real tired of protests by family members of the hostages who remain captive in 
the Gaza Strip by Hamas. So he actually decided to reach for an oldie but goodie allegation meant to shut naysayers up. He accused them of helping Hamas by engaging in protests. These are Israeli civilians, family members of the hostages who just want their family members back and want Netanyahu to do more to get them back. And because they're an inconvenience for Netanyahu, he is now accusing them of helping Hamas. Speaking at a Tel Aviv press conference on Saturday night, Netanyahu criticized the hostage family's protests saying, I understand that it is impossible to control one's emotions. But the hostages protest movement doesn't help and only hardens Hamas's demands and delays the results that we all want. The Jerusalem Post reported. So they initially reported on Netanyahu's statements, and it was reported by other outlets afterwards. Now, the hostages' families hit back in a statement per the Jerusalem Post. It said that Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, should remember that he is an elected official whose job it is to correct the mistakes, a reference to the security failings on October 7th and the terror attacks on Hamas, on Israel by Hamas, not to scold those whose family members were kidnapped. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. But wait till you get a load of what a former US intelligence analyst who was later convicted for being a spy on behalf of Israel had to say about the protesters, about the family members of the hostages. Jonathan Pollard, a former US Navy intelligence analyst who was convicted for spying for Israel, previously said the families of those taken captive in Gaza should have been silenced. When Israel declared war, the first thing that the government should have done was declare a state of national emergency and told all the hostages, you will keep your mouth shut or we will shut them for you, he said. He even advocated for imprisoning these family members, saying, quote, if that means imprisoning to silence certain members of the hostage families, then so be it, we're in a state of war. Yeah, so first of all, I have no interest in listening to the traitor Jonathan Pollard, who is one of the worst people of my lifetime in betraying America. So Israel said, "Oh, what's the big deal? We're your allies, so we can steal secrets from you. And they begged for him back and they said, he's such a wonderful, wonderful guy. He was just stealing on behalf of your beloved friend who always gets you in trouble, always gets you hated by the whole world, always commits war crimes and then steals from you on top. What's the big deal? Now this Pollard guy's going around like he owns the place and he's going, oh yeah, we should you know, hate the family members of the hostages, yeah. Of course, he's a right-wing thug who's a traitor to this country. And by the way, has done a terrible thing of spreading anti-Semitism in the world. Because what's an anti-Semitic trope? Split loyalties, right? When it gets applied to you know, naturalized citizens, no one cares. But if it's applied to Jewish Americans, people lose it, right? And rightfully so, there's no split loyalties. And then a spy traitor like Pollard comes along and betrays America on behalf of Israel. And then everybody goes, well, I don't know, look at this. Right, and so don't do that. He's he's a single case. He doesn't represent everyone, but he is a terrible, despicable human being. And I remember all those sick politicians mm-hmm. who actually lobbied to get him released, Insane. even though he's a traitor. Insane. Okay. So, anyways, back to Netanyahu. So this guy's 25 times the terrorist that Hamas is. There's no dispute about that. He's killed 25 times the number of civilians. That's according to. If you take the IDF's numbers, the number real number is much larger, but according to the IDF's numbers. So the, I am not in the camp of, well, Israel's allowed to murder civilians. They did it all by accident. Oops, did we kill 25 times the number of civilians you killed? My ass, if you believe that, you're so blinded by your bias, you can't see straight. You're like, or you think Israeli lives, and this is what are the American position is, keep it real. But there's a twist on it because of the story, hold. The American position is Israeli lives are precious, beautiful, the most important life on the planet Earth. And I agree with that, every life is the most important life on Earth. I want those Israelis protected, I want them safe, I want them to have a safe haven. But when we turn to the Palestinians, all of a sudden, double standards. I say Palestinian lives are just as precious as Israeli lives. They say, no way, murder them, murder them, murder them. 
kill 25 times as many Palestinians, no one cares. Because they're lower than dirt, they're subhuman according to the American government. Well, Joe Biden wonders why there's not a single Muslim who's gonna vote for him in Michigan. You treat people like they're subhuman. You don't mind that they're butchered by the butcher of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, Netanyahu. A awful terrorist. And now he says, I don't even care about Israeli lives. Remember, they shot three Israeli hostages already, waving a white flag. They're like, who cares? Shoot everyone in Gaza. You see someone that's a guy in the street, murder him, right? Oh, oops, I'm sorry, it was an accident. It was an accident. They just happened to kill every shirtless guy, every guy waving a white flag. We showed an Israeli hostage and a Palestinian hostage, murdered, murdered by the IDF on orders from Benjamin Netanyahu. And now he says, well, I don't even care here, I'll say it because there's no consequences. I don't care about the hostages. In fact, I blame the hostage families. It's no, your mean, fault. How dare you complain that they took hostages and I'm just murdering your civilians, not even trying to get the hostages back. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So there is understandably a lot of anger in in Israel among the civilian population in Israel over what happened on October 7th, both anger and then fear for the future because their security was violated. They're worried that it'll be violated again. They don't wanna lose other friends, family members, totally understandable. And that fear, and we experienced it here in the United States, that same fear that we experienced after 9-11 makes you, honestly very vulnerable to strong men who want to consolidate more power for themselves and commit terrible, brutal acts, sometimes war crimes in other countries. And certainly what we're seeing in Gaza right now, tons of war crimes that we talk about on a regular basis. What I'm trying to get people to understand is that when you start to allow your government to dehumanize others, and use ridiculous allegations to deflect from the responsibility they should be taking for the potential war crimes they're committing. You have to consider that that treatment of others will eventually turn into the treatment that you're gonna deal with by your own government. And so while Netanyahu and other members of the Israeli government have had no problem going around accusing anyone who happens to be a critic of theirs in the on the international stage of either being anti-Semitic or of aiding and abetting Hamas, a lot of people in the Israeli civilian population sat back and let it happen and thought, no, it's totally, it's totally true. Anyone who dares speak against what the IDF and the Israeli government is doing, they're aiding and abetting Hamas. That's all we need to do. We need to accuse them of aiding and abetting Hamas over and over again. Well, now you have Benjamin Netanyahu pointing fingers at the family members of the hostages, people who are suffering something that I can't even imagine. And he's accusing them of aiding and abetting Hamas. Yeah, there's another way that he's aiding and abetting Hamas, but I'm gonna get to that in one second. One more thing about Netanyahu, he says that accountability for what went wrong in actually defending Israel. What he's doing right now is Gaza is not defense, it's offense. He's butchering people to send a message or whatever, but he's barely gotten any Hamas fighters, can't point to any. They claim that they killed 9,000 out of the 27,000 dead. That's two thirds civilians according to their own claims, but they haven't shown any evidence of 9,000 dead. They've barely gone into the tunnels at all. They've been, this operation has been a miserable failure, has not returned one hostage, has killed three hostages. Okay, so they're O, o for none. They did a peace deal, a ceasefire deal to get the hostages back. The war didn't help at all. They haven't found a single hostage, total miserable failure. They asked for accountability, he says, no, 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 right after, right after the war. Okay, when's the, war's, when's the war gonna be over? He says, after we get total victory. 
Which is honestly- Okay, so that's an impossible standard, It right? is, especially when you consider how this brutal assault on ordinary Palestinian civilians, all of these deaths of Palestinian civilians is leading to increased support for Hamas. Yeah, I mean, both so in, in Gaza and the West Bank because I mean, again, I mean, I don't I don't feel like I need to have to I don't have to keep repeating this, but I'm going to repeat it, I guess. Losing your entire family will radicalize you. It's just normal human nature. No, no, eventually after you've murdered enough of them, the Palestinians will magically love Jews and Israel. They'll be like, "Oh my god, I didn't know." Oh, thank you for murdering my grandmother and my two kids. I now love you. Okay, oh, and then the total victory, total victory. Even according to the IDF numbers, they say they killed 9,000 Hamas, there's at least 30,000 more. So how are you gonna kill the other 30,000 that you couldn't even come close to according to your numbers? Total victory, years and years and years and years later. So he can stay When in Netanyahu power. can be king and stay in power for the rest of his life. Okay, if you, if you fall for that and you're in Israel, no matter what side you are about the Palestinians, this guy let you down on October 7th, was a corrupt, Piece of crap to begin with. Funded right? Hamas himself. And funded Hamas himself. And you're gonna buy his load of crap about, oh, yeah, yeah, wait till the war is over, except it's never gonna be over. And then you think you're ever gonna have peace and security in Israel when Netanyahu says, basically, confesses that he wants permanent war? He says, I'm never gonna give the Palestinians a state, and we're gonna go, go with this war until there's quote unquote total victory. That means war forever. That means Israel is never safe. But oh, the beloved Netanyahu, at least he gets to retain power. Is that a fair deal, Israel? Do you feel like you're getting the better end of that deal? So the hostage families should shut up and, and you should never have peace and security. But Netanyahu is elevated. The great terrorist Netanyahu is the leader of Israel. You should be so proud. 25 times the terrorist Hamas is. That's a fact, Young Turks. Back on TOT, Jake, Anna, Bunny, Ament. Uh, Bunny, thanks for sign, uh, hitting that join button below. We appreciate you. And Obeach Babe 21 oh, get gifted 20 Young Turks memberships. Thank you, Anna. Well, we've got a little more on the situation in Gaza, but what I really want to focus on is the fact that CNN keeps breaking incredible investigations on what's happening in Gaza, which was not expected. Um, so, shout outs to Jeremy Diamond for this report. Yep. These were all graves, this was a cemetery, but the military says that they were forced to come in here because they discovered a Hamas tunnel running right underneath that cemetery. But the Israeli military failed to prove that stunning claim during a three hour tour of the area. And yet another example of potential international war crimes, Israeli defense forces destroyed the Bani Suhaila Cemetery in Khan Yunis in southern Gaza, exhuming the corpses of Palestinians buried at the site. Under international law, cemeteries and religious sites receive special protection and destroying them could be considered a war crime. At this point, every time I mention potential war crimes, I, I can't help but feel like <laughs> It's useless to even mention that because this is what's been happening since the International Criminal Court of Justice came out and said that it is plausible that there is a genocide being carried out in Gaza and then gave Israel actionable steps to take to prevent a genocide. And instead we have more cemeteries being destroyed, more corpses being dug up. The IDF says there is no way to accomplish its military goal of defeating Hamas without finding the tunnels where they say the militants have built command and control centers, transported weapons and hidden some of the 130 hostages it is believed to be holding. They say digging up the tunnels involves unavoidable collateral damage to sacrosanct spaces. But CNN investigated the claims of a so-called command center under the cemetery and they came up short on that evidence to justify what the IDF has been doing at this 
at this site. A week after CNN's investigation found that the Israeli military damaged or destroyed at least 16 cemeteries in Gaza since the beginning of the war, the Israeli military invited CNN into Gaza to explain why it partially destroyed one of those cemeteries. But Israeli commanders failed to prove their claim during the three hour visit to the Bani Suhela cemetery and its surrounding area. So I wanna go to the first clip here where they'll talk about an entrance to the tunnel, but note that that entrance to the tunnel is not at the at the cemetery, it's, it's a little away from the cemetery, let's watch. Where are we right now? I mean, what's above us? So we're in the headquarters of a Hamas commander. Uh, above us is a cemetery uh, that I showed you from the outside. If you look at the satellite imagery of this cemetery, there is a wide area that the military has cleared. Why is that necessary in order to uncover these tunnels? We have to reach the tunnels. We have to reach the tunnels. We had to uncover the tunnels, we had to prevent from the enemy to flank us. But there's no way for us to verify whether we are actually beneath the graveyard. Right. General Goldfuss takes us back out of the tunnel, but not into the cemetery. Instead, we leave the same way we came in, before walking back to the enormous hole where the cemetery once stood. We're asking the general if we can actually see the shaft to the tunnel. But the answer is no. So as CNN reports in the print version of the story, they say, however, IDF commanders declined to show reporters the tunnel shaft. They said emerged inside the cemetery, claiming that there was sensitive machinery underground and that the structure was unstable. And a spokesperson for the IDF said that they would provide a video of the tunnel shaft in the enormous hole that you witnessed in that video, which represents where the cemetery was, but they never did. Instead, the IDF had provided drone footage that showed two other tunnel entrances, one of which CNN entered, and you saw that in the video, near the cemetery, but not at the cemetery. CNN then later geolocated the tunnel tunnel entrances using footage filmed on the ground. And so I wanna to go to this last video showing you what happened next. The Israeli military later provided this drone footage showing the tunnel shaft we entered and another one nearby. CNN geolocated the footage using this satellite image. This outline shows where the cemetery once stood. And these are the two tunnel entrances clearly outside the graveyard. As for the tunnel they say they found here where the cemetery once stood, the military never provided any evidence. So again, pretty incredible reporting from CNN. They're not just simply taking what the IDF says at face value and they're doing their best to investigate it on the ground, which is pretty incredible. And look, if even if you're not a religious person, I'm not a religious person, I understand like what it means to exhume bodies. And then by the way, they were super careless with the bodies and later gave dozens of bodies to Palestinians near the Rafah border. They couldn't identify the bodies and just ended up burying them in a mass grave. Just think about what it feels like to be a family member who might wanna visit your loved one at the cemetery and now you no longer have the ability to do so. It's just, it's, it's sick, it really is. All of this is so incredibly sick. It's a level of cruelty that even at this point in my life, I shouldn't be this naive, but it's unimaginable to me, absolutely unimaginable to me. Yeah, so first of all, tremendous credit to Jeremy Diamond, who so far has been the best reporter on the scene, and to CNN. Uh, so I think that Israel uh, assumed that CNN would help them do propaganda, because this was super careless on their part. They say, here, come here, reporter. We're gonna take you and your camera people to show you how this graveyard that we destroyed is you know, because of a series of tunnels we found underneath it that we were so concerned about. Then it turns out the tunnels are not under the graveyard at all. You saw the video, right? And Jeremy Diamond asks, well, where are they? I don't, I don't understand. Like how I thought we were gonna come out of the cemetery. And then they asked, hey, listen, guys, since you asked us and it's already on tape, you gotta send us a drone video showing us how the graveyard is connected to the tunnels. Right. And Israel sends nothing back because they don't have anything. They were lying. And they were they must have assumed that CNN would help them lie. So let me just correct you a little bit because it's important to get this right. 
So the IDF did end up sending a drone video to CNN with the hope of identifying tunnel shafts that CNN, I guess, would mistake for tunnel shafts at the cemetery. But CNN did their due diligence and they did you know, geolocation of those tunnel shafts that were shown in the drone footage. And they're like, no, this isn't at the cemetery. Yeah, it's a good clarification, not a correction yeah. because it, I, I said there was no video of anything coming out of the graveyard. And so, uh, look, I think that uh, to be fair to the IDF, they probably thought it's American media. We just have to give them a fig leaf and they'll help us do propaganda. That's what we did. We've done the last 40, 50 years. All of a sudden, this Jeremy Diamond guy starts doing real reporting. What the hell's going on here? Right. So they must have been blindsided by an actual reporter there. Again, great credit to CNN. You don't see me say that often. It's because it doesn't happen often. But when it does, I love it. Thank you. And more of that. Okay, now let's get back to the main issue. So look, in a previous a report also by Jeremy Diamond on CNN. They showed the 16 Muslim cemeteries had been destroyed. And and then very important, I was waiting the whole story to see if he was gonna cover this and he did. He said, but none of the Jewish and Christian cemeteries in Gaza were touched. And there are Jewish and Christian cemeteries in Gaza. The ostensible reason that Israel had given last week when they first did the CNN did that first report was, oh, we're busy looking for the bodies of the hostages. And we had to dig, you never know, they could put it into the graves, they could put it, you never know. And they're like, okay, yeah, but we could also put it in the graves of the Jewish or the Christian cemeteries. And that might even be more likely, right? But you didn't touch them because that's sacrosanct, you don't wanna violate that sacred ground. But when it comes to Muslim sacred ground, oh, you violated it 16 times, didn't care at all, dug up the bodies, threw them around, it's don't sick, know who they it's are. It's sick, it's sick, it's sick, it's sick. It shouldn't happen to any bodies, okay? I don't care about the religious you know, affiliation. I don't care about the identities of the, the, the corpses at these uh, grave sites and cemeteries. It's sick, it's so sick that they did this. No, no, the reason that the identities matter is because this is Israel spitting in the Palestinians' face and in Muslim faces all across the world and going, look at this, we desecrated your ancestors. What are you gonna do about it? Ha ha, nothing, because we have the 2,000 pound bombs, we have a giant military, we have America backing us, and you guys don't have anything. Ha ha, we'll kill you anytime we like, we'll occupy you forever, and now we'll spit on your ancestors. But we're the good guys. By the way, we'll kill 25 times the number of civilians you did. But we're the good guys and you guys are the terrorists. Sorry, no way, IDF are definite terrorists. That guy you saw on tape, that so-called general or whatever he was, terrorist. This is what war crimes are, this is what terrorists do. And then they go, oh my God, can you believe what Hamas did? Yeah, I hate what Hamas did. How about what you sick people are doing? So that's referring to the IDF and Netanyahu. And so, look, there's 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 no subtlety at all anymore. They're purposely killing civilians. They're purposely desecrating graves. They're saying we're going to destroy everything in Gaza, and they have. Sixty percent of the buildings are gone. Eighty-five percent of the people are homeless. Twenty-five percent of the people are starving right now. Eighty-five percent of the people that are starving in the world are in Gaza. I'm sorry, 80%, 80% of all of the people starving in the world are in Gaza. And Israel's the good guys and the Palestinians are the bad guys. If you think that you're so biased, you can't see straight or you're just not that bright. You're like, what's higher, one or 25, I can't tell. I can't, oh, what's worse? Wait, which one is occupying which, I can't tell. In America, it makes it look like the Palestinians are occupying the Israelis. No, the Israelis have brutally, brutally occupied and demeaned and humiliated these people for the last 75 years. And I'm not gonna be quiet about it. I don't care if it offends you. Those dead people in Gaza offend me 10,000 times more. And if they don't offend you, there's something wrong in your moral core. If you look at them and go, who cares? Palestinians, they had it coming. Muslims, who cares? If you say that, you're a sick person. So go get help. All right, we'll be back with more news after the break, including the Biden administration rethinking whether it made sense to pull taxpayer money and resources away from the Middle East. Looks like we're 
gonna go for a full on war in that region and we're gonna pump more money into it. So we've got that and more coming up, don't miss it. All right, back on TYT, Jane Kanana with you, more news. All right, well, let's get to the Biden administration's thinking on the Middle East. The Biden administration is now reconsidering whether it was a bright idea to pull American resources out of the Middle East, especially following the October 7th Hamas atrocities committed against Israel. Now, according to a political report, the Biden administration was completely caught off guard when the terrorist attack happened on October 7th. And so now they're wondering if maybe it makes sense to pump more money into the region and increase their their abilities and capabilities to collect information on the ground there. Officials interviewed by Politico likened the scenes inside the White House following the October 7th attacks and in the Pentagon, the State Department and in intelligence agencies in the weeks following the initial attacks to days following the attack on the US Embassy in Benghazi in 2012. Now, Aaron Bonko, who is the reporter behind this story, Explains that the United States slowly but surely pulling out of the Middle East has led to a bit of a vacuum in regard to intelligence. And so they feel that it is a problem to just simply rely on Israel for intelligence. Because as we all know, Israel failed to take the intelligence they had about an impending Hamas attack seriously. That was a story that was reported by the New York Times. And so now since October 7th, Senior officials have said publicly that Israel did not share key details. It had collected about a potential assault by Hamas from Gaza. The US and Israel have a strong intelligence sharing partnership, one that would have allowed for Israel to share details of a possible attack by Hamas. But as that New York Times reporting had indicated months ago, the IDF and the Israeli government simply didn't take the Basically, the blueprint that Hamas had for the attack, they didn't take it seriously. They didn't think Hamas had the capability to carry out those atrocities. And so since they dismissed it, they unfortunately became very vulnerable to the attack that happened on October 7th. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government did not seriously consider information from its own intelligence ranks that Hamas was planning an attack and did not pass on the blueprints it had obtained to US officials. So as a result, now the United States is thinking, well, maybe we need to have some people on the ground to collect intelligence on behalf of the United States. In the weeks that followed October 7th, Officials assess that while Hamas didn't pose a direct threat to the US, other groups or individuals sympathetic to Hamas could attack the US in the region. They became particularly concerned that Hezbollah might try to target US troops and diplomats abroad and even Americans at home. So now the argument is, well, we need to pump more money, more of these finite resources into the Middle East. Essentially reversing some of what we had given Biden credit for in pulling out of the Middle East, so. Yeah, great, we're going back into the Middle East. I bet this ends well. So they're gonna spend a billion dollars. You think they're only going to spend a billion dollars? That's their original plan. I remember before the Iraq war, they said that the whole thing might cost, I remember now, in a congressional hearing, $1.2 billion. It costs in the trillions, in the trillions. So every time these guys say, "Oh no, we got this. We're going to go and kill more people in the Middle East, and we're going to do intelligence. We're going to do intelligence work in the Middle East, and then we're going to put our troops there, and then they're going to get fired on, and we're going to pretend to be outraged. Oh my God, I can't believe after we were killing all you guys, you killed some of us back. Oh, now we have to kill you more, and then we're going to start a much bigger war. We're going to spend trillions of dollars, and then America is safer. Is it? Has anything that we have done in our lifetimes in the Middle East made us any safer. I would argue that almost everything we've done in the Middle East has made us less safe. We have went and antagonized countries. Back in the 1950s, we did coups against democratically elected governments like the one in Iran. And people were so mad about that, it led to a revolution where they went in a fundamentalist Muslim direction. And now we've been fighting them for the last 
70 years because of the awful thing that we did in deposing their democratic elected president. Why did we do that? Because he wouldn't sell to our corporations at the right profit margin. I have a question and this is a this is a sincere question. It's not rhetorical and try to control yourself as you answer because I am genuinely curious. So the United States keeps pointing at Israel as like our our top top ally in the region, an important critical ally to the United States. So we already know what we provide for Israel. Literally billions and billions of dollars every single year in military funding, which they then use to carry out their war crimes in the Gaza Strip and sometimes also in the occupied West Bank. Don't feel really great about that. But what do we get in return? And I'm genuinely asking because one of the things that was widely reported was that a critical thing that Israel provides to the United States government is intel. And clearly, I mean, this report is a clear indication that we can't rely on Israel for intel. So what exactly do we get out of Israel? Okay. I wanna know, because yes, it is transactional. Every relationship we have on the international stage is transactional. Don't make a mistake about that. What do we get out of Israel? Okay, so let me give you the facts and then I'll give you the commentary. I've read hundreds of articles about this over the last 25 years. They always say two things. Number one is, and this is by an overwhelming margin, is number one is intelligence. And they say, oh, you don't know, you guys don't know. It's super secret intelligence, but it's critical. Is it? Is it first of all, we missed 9-11, so how they didn't help us, we, we didn't have, so that was when we needed it. Okay, so that was the one time we needed it and nothing. October 7th in Israel, they had that intelligence, they didn't share it. <laughs> they didn't do anything to themselves about it and they didn't share it with us. They just so dismissed it. Dismissed it. So do they, does that mean they share no intelligence? No, first of all, they steal intelligence from us. Jonathan Pollard, as we talked about earlier in the show, is a traitor who stole intelligence and gave it to the Israelis. But okay, every once in a while, do they give real intelligence? Of course they do. And what is it about? The Norwegians, right? Oh No, no, it's about Muslims in the area that might attack Israel. Wait, how does that help us? They say, oh yeah, yeah, but some of them might also attack you because of your support for us. Wait, how does that help us? So you, they give us a hit list, of, hit list of people we should assassinate on their behalf mm -hmm. to protect their, but how does it help us? The only other thing ever mentioned in any of those articles is, oh, they're really good at tech and we got a good trading partner. So what, China's really good at tech. And by the way, we trade with China 10,000 times more than we trade with Israel. Does that mean we should do whatever the hell China tells us to do? That China's the best ally we have? That makes no logical sense at all. We do great trading with, again, with Sweden and Kenya and all these, why? That's not an argument for us giving them $4 billion a year. Plus they, so they specialize in security and military tech as well. Yeah, to so, kill more Muslims and to occupy so them for I longer mean, so that the whole Muslim world can hate us. Because we're giving them a blank check and not helping, well, we're helping to oppress Palestinians for 75 years straight now. Okay, so my commentary is, and I defy anyone to show anything else. Israel gives us zero. They just say, okay, give me the money. Now, by the way, go run cover for me at the United Nations and the whole world. You should be responsible and everyone should hate you instead of me because you're the one really backing me and I couldn't do it without you. So everybody, your hatred towards America, okay? And by the way, if you're gonna attack, don't attack us. Attack America and give us money. And I'm not gonna give you anything back. And by the way, every once in a while, I'll spy on you and steal stuff, even though you're giving me everything anyway. So I don't see how this is an ally. Then the only other thing that anybody ever says is only democracy in the Middle East. So hold on, I have two things about that. Number one, I know this is a tiny thing, but it bothers me because they go, well, Turkey, you know, I'll say sometimes, hey, it's the Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, and then people will laugh, go, yeah, right, it's Middle Eastern. Turkey's, of course, Middle Eastern. Look at you, brown person, right? Well, Turkey's a democracy, and Turkey doesn't occupy anyone. Turkey's definitely a bad, look, I don't like the current right wing government. <gasps> oh, it turns out you can criticize things that are your own ethnicity. <gasps> okay, I know, crazy thought. Anyway, I don't like the current right wing government, but they're, they're definitely a better ally. And they help us with Russia from sometimes, they help us with Iran, they help us in Syria. They actually help us with things that we need. Now, Turkey also does terrible things that I'm not in favor of. Like slaughtering Kurds in Syria. Yes, that's right, and we criticize them for that. 
Again, <gasps> I thought you were supposed to be massively biased in favor of your own ethnicity and background. Well, oh, it turns out you can be fair. Anyways, so Turkey's a democracy and, and no one ever cares. And no one, they don't get the same special privileges that Israel gets. And besides which, Israel's only a democracy if you live inside Israel, but not in the areas where they imprison 5 million Palestinians. So, okay, let's go back into the Middle East so Israel can drag us into another war, so we can spend trillions of dollars. Who, who the bigger financial backers here are not Israel. The defense contractors and the oil companies are gonna make so much money from instability in the Middle East. The US has slowly begun to move resources back to the Middle East in recent weeks as violence escalates in Gaza, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, the Red Sea, and between Israel and Hezbollah on the border with Lebanon. And how much money are we talking about here? Well, we didn't get exact figures, like a holistic number that would include many years of continuing whatever we're doing in the Middle East. But here's what Politico reports. The Pentagon has estimated that it will cost more than a billion dollars just to rebuild our presence in the Middle East after October 7th. It has sent several ships and submarines along with 1,200 troops to the region. The State Department and White House, meanwhile, have dispatched advisors to Israel to help coordinate with the Netanyahu government and intelligence agencies have upped their collection work in countries, including Iraq and Syria, to monitor the movements and planning of Iranian proxies. Here, I can solve all those problems for you because they'll say, "Oh, well, what do you want us to do? Nothing about it? No, get back into the Iran peace deal, get the uranium out of Iran so they can't develop nukes and the occupation. And you won't have to worry about killing tons, hundreds of thousands of Muslims in the Middle East because they won't hate you. <gasps> no, I got a great idea. Instead, the defense contractors can make trillions of dollars more because that's what they're doing. You know, when she read, no, oh, we're sending submarines and ships and 1,200 troops, I thought parentheses, so they can get killed and we could pretend to be outraged so we can start bigger conflicts so that you can all die and send us more money because. All the people who bribe American politicians are about to get stinking rich as we head back into the Middle East to create a giant mess that'll land right on top of your head. But don't worry, everybody at Raytheon is gonna be swimming in money. All right, let's take a break. When we come back for the second hour of the show, we'll get into some electoral politics here in the United States, including Senator Joe Manchin, proving himself to be one of the most delusional American politicians, maybe in American history, and that's saying a lot. He really thinks he's a popular dude. So we've got that and more coming up, don't miss it. <laughs> 